0: We are in Mark chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 4 through 14 tonight as, as we uh, go through these. A lot of times this ends up becoming uh, eschatological references. But as we've approached this uh, in the context of the book of Mark, and again, we also got to remember these, these words are recorded in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And each of the, not that they're changing the words, But each of them are taking Jesus' words and applying them to the audience they're addressing or their situation. And Mark, of course, is writing around 65 A.D. after Paul has been executed by Nero. Peter also stood in front of the king and was executed by the emperor. (coughs) Um, So he's writing around 65 A.D. to the believers in Rome who are under persecution. They are facing difficult times and so when we, we read this, uh, one of the things that's going to be mentioned here that's going to be very, very strong is the, Jesus told them, uh, you're going to have to endure. You're going to be facing hard times. And one of the things we're going to see tonight, when you face those hard times, that's not the sign of the end. In fact, tonight, th- these verses we're going to look at tonight are really the, the no or the negative. What, what will be the signs? And one of the things he's going to say is, tonight, these are not signs. When you see this, these are not signs of the end, but signs of time. Signs of what it's going to be like being a disciple from now until he returns. In other words, it's actually speaking to these people of Rome. You're facing persecution. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Now, this is kind of hard for us to understand. Uh... But let me read through this right here. I'll read through uh, the, the text in Mark chapter 13 in, uh, in the NIV. And uh, the first part here, verses, say, 4 through 13 is going to be, or 5 through 13, is Jesus kind of telling him, this is not a sign of the end These are what history is going to be like, but then beginning in verse fourteen, he says, "When you see the abomination that causes desolation." Now he begins to talk about what it was, what it's going to look like in the end. And the disciples have asked two questions, and that's on the top of the page right there. Uh, When will these things be? So the first question is, "When will these things be?" And that can kind of be summed up: uh, the temple destruction. When will the temple? When will this happen? That's the first question. And then the second question uh, is, what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished, or what will be the sign of the, uh, we'll just say the end, or the coming of the kingdom? What is the, and again, they're not distinguishing between, we can easily see the temple destroyed in 70 AD, Jesus is yet to come back in the future. So sometimes we just kind of easily separate these ones, historical ones, eschatological. And here we are stuck in the middle. Uh, But they're kind of kind of putting these together. Jesus is going to answer this question first. And he's first going to say, like tonight, these are not the signs. Then he's going to say, these are the signs. And then he's going to come back and say, talk about the temple when it is going to be destroyed so here we go i'll read chapter 13 beginning in verse one as he was leaving the temple one of his disciples said to him look teacher what massive stones what magnificent buildings that establishes the theme of this chapter the temple the stones the buildings jesus says do you see all these great buildings now one stone here will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. And that captures the theme of the whole week or probably many, many months of Jesus' ministry, especially this last week, is this place is under judgment. This place is not going to endure. It's all coming down. Now, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? Again, what things? I mean, he, he, they can't be talking about the end times because he wasn't talking about the end times. He's talking about when the temple, when will the temple be destroyed? Again, if you don't agree with me, uh, that that's, that's fine. I'm just trying to teach through this, but it, it appears in the context, when will these things happen? Well, the things you just said, not one stone left upon another. Uh, okay, uh, and the second question here what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Again, you could say, this, what will be the sign that it's about to take place? And he, in a sense, answers "You know what?" that in the next few verses about the events that they're going to be living through. But he's going to make sure, understand, the things that are going to take place that lead up to this event are not the sign of the end. And he begins to separate. Now, we're, if we're going to actually teach this... Uh, In in another fashion, we'd want to look at Matthew and Luke because the same questions are asked. And I should say, in Matthew, there's three questions that are asked. And so there's a little, not that there's absolutely nothing wrong, and it's not like someone's rewriting it or mis-explaining it. It's no different than, say, I'm teaching class tonight, and then you go off and someone asks you two questions about class, and then you answer those two questions, and someone else asks somebody else that someone else Ask them three questions. Imagine someone's going to be talking about class later. Uh, three questions. Well, the answers would be different. Well, I thought you went to the same class. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about these two questions that were asked. You're talking about these three questions. And Mark is writing to a group of believers. He's got a purpose for his book. Luke is writing to Theophilus. He, he's, he's someone else in Rome, uh, some kind of a very, uh, high uh, society, probably a knight. Most excellent Theophilus is the same name they call Festus and Felix, most excellent. Uh, So he would be maybe some government official. And then you've got Matthew, recording in Matthew 24, writing to the Jews. So that being said, there are the same topic, just different questions. So here he goes. Just listen to these verses, especially verses 5 through 13. Jesus said to them, and again, I'm I'm going to read this right now as you read this there there's you could say there's nothing in here eschatological there's nothing in these verses about end times it's more about what's going to take place in history what is life going to be like for you and he says and these are not the signs for example watch out that no one deceives you many will come in my name claiming i am he and will deceive many When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So right there, those are two signs that are not signs of the end, but signs of life in this age leading up to the end. There's going to be deception, false Christs, false teachers, false messiahs. There's going to be liars, deception. And you need to be careful not to get pulled into that, but also not to think, ah, look, someone says they're Jesus. This is, this someone is preaching. It must be the end of the world. God, God is not going to put up with this. No, he's going to say, yeah, these things must happen. This is part of the process. In fact, he goes on and says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. We'll talk about that idea. Must happen, meaning this is in the divine plan. God is a punishing, rebellious man, redeeming Man and bringing about the fullness of salvation, and so he's going to need. In fact, what this this answer is saying, and I'll, I've got it in my notes, is there's going to be time. Now, when you read the New Testament, uh, everyone is kind of looking for the return of Christ. Even on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Jesus is not for you to know those times." Paul writes, you know, that when we are when uh when we are caught up when we meet the Lord in the air. We who are left will be caught up. So Paul's writing as if everyone else is going to die, but he himself is going to be here when Jesus appears, and he'll be caught up because he will be alive. Now he's not making a prophecy, but he's talking in the perspective that he's going to be alive. So th- it was the idea that they were, you know, they didn't know when it was going to come. But as you read this, and I think you're free to again reevaluate what I'm saying, but this is really saying things. There's got to be some time for all this to develop. For example, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In other words, nations are going to rise and nations are going to fall. Now, how long does it take for... a Now, again, it's not just a war is going to come. You'll hear of wars and you'll hear of rumors of wars. Well, how, how, how many years is this? Well, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. In fact, nations are going to rise, go to war against another nation, and that nation's going to fall. Well, how long will that take? Well, how long does it take for a nation to rise? I mean, it's not going to take like, you know, next week. It's going to take a period of time. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Now, you see... Again, I'm trampling on some, even my own teaching at different times. You know, like earthquakes and famines, that must be the end of the age. Now, when you read Revelation and you see that the seal's being opened, there's famine, there's war, there's plague. There will be great plague and famine and earthquakes in the end. But we're going back here to the beginning. We're, We're heading towards the end. In fact, he's going to use the phrase right here, beginning of birth pains and again I'm I'm kind of reteaching some, I'm getting a broader perspective from my own teaching because a lot of times you say, oh the beginning of birth pains, when you see earthquakes, famines and wars, that's the beginning of the tribulation as if from the time of Christ until the beginning of the tribulation we've been living in some kind of paradise, but then there'll be a famine here and an earthquake there and then a war breaks out uh oh, This is the beginning of the tribulation. Now Jesus is talking in 30 A.D. He says, "When you hear of wars, kingdoms rising, nations falling, earthquakes, and famines, well, that's the beginning of the process." Now, when we, you know, when we talk about giving birth to a child, you know, we've had six sons, you know, and you know, when she went into labor, we knew, oh, the process has begun, and indeed, the process has begun. But we're not like five minutes away from having a baby. We're going to have the beginning of the labor pains. In fact, as we experienced several times, uh, she's in labor. All right, well, let me know. And you just keep watching TV because you realize she's having contractions, but it's like because there was a time when she went into labor or she started having contractions, grab the bag, jump in the car, drive to the hospital, you know, they lay her out, do some tests, and then they send her home. Because it was the beginning of the birth page. It's like, and then we go to, go home, go to bed, and get up later and and repeat the same thing. And so they got to the point where I'm not leaving, not first. We were an hour away from the hospital the first time. And so, of course, uh, then I, then during one of the classes, the Lama's class, they started talking about, the last class was, if you have to deliver the baby at home or in the car, Dad, here's what you can what, no, I don't want to know this information. This is not, we're going we're gonna to be at the hospital. And so that first time, I'm like, you know, the suitcase is packed. We're, you know, we're ready to go. Well, by, you know, I don't know if it was the third, and Tony would know all the details. The third or fourth one, we had gone in early a couple times and got sent back home. Okay, she's saying three. Number three, Ben. We got sent back home, so then by the time we get to four and five and six, we realize, th- my point This is the beginning of the birth. We're not going to go stand on the mountain and wait for Jesus because he's going to send us back down the mountain and get back to work because this is just the beginning because you're going to have the beginning. You're going to have the middle. And then towards the end, it's going to get real intense. But even though the birth pains are very intense, you're still got events to take place before the birth or the coming of the kingdom takes place. So think of it, and again, you don't have to accept that, but think of this, this phrase that's coming up, the beginning of birth pains, not to mean like everything's been smooth for 2,000 years, and all of a sudden there's a war in Ukraine, the economy's out of control, now we're going to have an earthquake somewhere in the Pacific coast or something, and it's like, it's the end of the world. Well, it's like, no, Pompeii had an earthquake in 79 AD. I mean, just imagine what they thought. Uh, If they could, because it happened pretty quick. You know, then you had the Jewish wars beginning in 66. So you're going to have the Jewish wars in 66, Pompeii in 79. You're going to have a variety of events. And then all the way through, it's like that's the beginning of the birth pains. This is the beginning of the process of heading, heading to the kingdom. So here it is. This whole idea that I'm saying here. It's going to take some time. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. There are These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I'm going to point this out when I go through the notes. But when it talks about famines and earthquakes, in the Bible, famines and earthquakes are a sign of divine judgment on a culture or a society or a nation. Uh, meaning, when he mentions here... Earthquakes and famines, it indicates, if you go with my four-generation teacher, the four-generation cycle, this is the sign that you're moving through the cycles of a culture, not the cycles of time. Meaning, when you get to the place where you're having famines and earthquakes, your your culture may be under judgment, and you're going to cycle back, and it's going to be reset, and time's going to go on. It has nothing to do with a sign of the end, but more of a sign of you are under divine judgment, because God is... Punishing rebellious man, raising up, resurrecting rebellious man into children of God, and, and leading them towards Christ. And it continues. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local consuls and flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And again, that all takes place right away. In fact, one of the guys that asked this question, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. James was executed uh, by what? It'd be forty-one, forty-two, forty-three A.D. was executed by Herod Agrippa. So I mean it, that happened within ten years. James was being standing before a king, being executed, and that's so. Jesus is not talking about. So that was a sign of the end of time. No, that's a sign that this is the beginning of the birth pains. This is what the this age. You're, you're going in a sense. the 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 history is going into labor after the resurrection, and the history is in labor, moving towards the the coming of Christ for two thousand years. On account of you, uh, me, on account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now, there's another time element. the na- the The nations, if you think about, if you literally mean nations across the world. Some of them weren't even known, you know, by the disciples. They're going to hear the gospel. If Jesus came for the sins of mankind, he's going to go to the nations. Uh, that You can go way back to Genesis and draw that out. And it's going to take... Now, Paul could say that he'd gone to all the world, uh, but he, he, you know he can't mean the entire world because what about South America, North America, all of Africa? He went, you know, to the north and then west. He'd gone to the Roman Empire, basically. He didn't go to the East, although some of the disciples went to the East. And there's going to be those that try to say that in the first century, the disciples went to all parts of the world, and that's going to be a stretch. Uh, and, and Paul himself says, I went to the, the world, but he, if he, he can assume he'd gone all the way to Spain. That's not recorded in Scripture, but possibly in church history. Eusebius refers to it. Um, He'd gone to the extent of the Roman Empire, uh, but that still is not, in a sense, the fulfillment of this. Some could say it is, and some would, you know, if you're a preterist, you're going to say the apostles went to all the world. But anyway, I'm saying here, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations, meaning it's going to take some time. Whenever you are arrested, now, here's the thing. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So when they when they come to trial, this is the this is the key to one of the keys. There's many keys to the important things. When you stand before consuls and you're you're brought into court cases, you stand before a king or emperor, or you're facing persecution. What's the point of this? It's not that the end of the world is here. It's this is you are front and center. This is how the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all the nation. Persecution, opposition is going to drive the gospel into all the nations. They're going to arrest you, bring you in for a court case. And Paul, we just referred to it, standing in front of Herod Agrippa II and and Festus, uh, they say, you know, let's hear, what what are they accusing you of? And he begins and tells his whole story and even asks Agrippa. He says, I wish you were just like me except for these chains. And Herod Agrippa knew, the second, knew exactly what Paul's saying. He says, you expect me to become a Christian? I mean, you think I'm going to now, because he was a very faithful Jew, per se, uh, that I'm going to become a Christian? He says, Paul says, well, I know these things didn't happen in a corner. You know exactly what... Exactly what happened Meaning, Agrippa was aware of the Christian message and Paul was proclaiming it. And so that trial was not for Paul to get revenge on the Sanhedrin or to somehow wiggle his way out of the persecution, but he was brought front and center for one purpose, to proclaim the gospel. So Jesus is telling him, this is the beginning of birth pains. You're going to be going through all of these things. All these things you face are not the end. This is what's got to take place through history, and it's going to create persecution and a chance for you to preach. Your focus is not when is the end coming. Your focus is am I doing my job before the end gets here? And again, I don't want to say I've been wrong, uh, because no one wants to say they've been wrong. But a lot of times when we talk about end times for eschatology, you try and build a chart, and I have got charts, and I'll continue to use charts but so far, Jesus hasn't given us any indication here about, ah, this will take place and then this will take place, except, yes, the end is coming, but during this time period, your focus is on the gospel, your focus, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create situations, I'm going to discipline he, uh, nations, I'm going to put you in front of them to testify, and we're going to spread this gospel throughout the whole world. Um, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit again don 't worry about it the holy this is why you are at the right place, the right time, and the Holy Spirit wants you here, so the Holy Spirit is going to be eager to speak through you again this is This is not the same thing as I, I'm going to just trust the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to study my Bible. I'm not going to go to seminary. I'm not going to prepare notes for Bible class. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit speak. Uh, that's this is a whole different, whole different shelf. Paul says, study to show yourself approved. And there's, there's very clear indication of Jesus, you're ignorant because you do not know the scriptures. That's, that's not this song. This is when you are brought in and placed in this position God is the one who arranged this meeting. The Holy Spirit is ready to speak through you. It, it's assuming that you've been arrested because you are speaking the gospel. You're speaking the truth and you've already studied and prepared and you know the truth. That's why you're here. Now, just relax. You're not going to try to get out. This is not about you avoiding getting a beating. It's not a, about you avoiding being put in prison. It's about you getting a, having a chance to speak the truth, which makes you wonder about Paul, when he was standing in front of Festus uh, and uh, Festus was asking him questions, and he, 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 before he had a chance to hear uh, Herod Agrippa II to hear him, he says, but then he says, I appeal my case to Caesar. Now, <clears throat> they wanted him to go back to Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin wanted him to go back to Jerusalem, and it's very clear. Uh, the intention was to, if he get you get Paul on the road, we could attack and, and kill him. That was their plan. They tried to kill him on the way. They wanted to go back and kill him on the way back. <clears throat> so Paul may have, you know, it's a pretty good indication, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. I, that, I'm just going to my death. So I'm going to appeal to Caesar and escape out of this situation, Caesarea. Or with this kind of advice, which Paul would have been familiar with, he's he's appealing to Caesar to like, well, I proclaimed the gospel here. I'll just use the system and work right on up. I'll talk to the emperor. And he's going to talk to the emperor then around 60, 60, 61, 62 A.D., be released, be arrested again. And that's when he writes 2 Timothy in 67, 68. And he talks about how he testified again to everyone in Nero's court. And so Paul, in a sense, is fulfilling this. Maybe even, again, I'm being speculating, that he's seeing this as an opportunity. I'll just use the court system and just keep having trials since I'm in the court system, not getting out. I'll just keep appealing to different leaders and and present my case. And so everyone will have to hear it and have a judicial system. Okay, chapter uh, 13, verse 12. That's talking about official opposition, you know, from the outside, but also what this age is going to be like. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, we're going to talk about that that to the end, to the end of time. Well, in context, this is talking about the disciples and them proclaiming the gospel. You stand firm to the end of your ministry, the end of your life, you will be saved. And again, I'll point it out again later. That word saved can mean saved from a storm, saved from war, saved your soul, saved spiritually sozo uh or you know saved uh, delivered um but uh it, it, it's kind of strange to take that as a promise that you're going to be delivered and saved from all this persecution because this is all about being persecuted especially writing to uh the people of rome it's like yeah but just stand firm you'll be saved that nothing's going to hurt well jesus died James died. Peter's already been martyred. Now they're burning Christians on, on the stake in Rome at this time. They're putting them in the Colosseum. Yeah, but just stand firm. It's not going to happen to you. It's like, well, it's happening to everybody. So it's going to be really hard to convince me, or if you keep this in context, that means you're not going to face persecution because this is promising you you're going to face consuls. You're going to be beaten. You're going to face kings. You're going to be imprisoned. Uh, this means you stand firm to the end, this is more about your faith. Meaning, again, we'll we'll build a little bit more later, if you've got faith and you're testifying when this persecution comes, if you don't have faith, you're going to compromise. But if you do have faith, you're going to stand firm and endure because that is the result. You're not going to earn your salvation by standing firm, but if you really have faith, if you really believe these things, when this persecution comes, they say, say no, deny it. You're going to, I'm not going to deny it. You're going to stand firm. And if you stand firm to the end of your life, you will be then saved or delivered. And that goes through the spirit, soul, and body, justified, sanctified, and then glorified. It's got to be in that context. And I'll show you some verses. Okay, so right there, what we just read, I'm going to show you in the the notes, what he just got done saying was, uh, what are the signs? Uh, What he just told them, these are not. These are not the signs. This is what your life looks like. So if your life looks like this, wars, rumors of wars, uh, nations rising against each other, kingdoms falling, uh, famines, earthquakes, persecution, you're on court here, you're being standing before kings, uh, and you're, you're being lied about, People, your inner family are deceiving you or betraying you, turning against you because of Jesus Christ, that's life that's not the end he just described for us right there what the christian life will be like this is what it's going to be like throughout history so now you can see the fallacy ah there's an earthquake it must be a sign of the end well okay if you look in revelation there are some major earthquakes but this is saying earthquakes are part of history oh look there's false messiahs and false christ there's false teachers right that's to test people don't you be deceived because you've got to keep preaching the gospel and if you keep preaching the gospel you're not going to follow the false teachers you're going to end up standing in front of kings and and court cases because of the word why am i here so that you can preach to God. The whole reason you're here is so you can preach the gospel. God is doing something in history. The, the rising and falling of nations is God controlling history. The famines and earthquakes is God bringing nations through cycles of discipline or doing whatever God is doing. I mean, I can't even begin to say, you know, to act like you know, there are certain things that's like Moses says at best, the things revealed to us belong, to, the things revealed belong to us and to our children. The secret things belong to God. God has revealed, nations will rise, kingdoms will rise, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes. and this is not the end. That is what I'm doing. Why are you doing that? Well, sometimes we know, sometimes sometimes they're under discipline. He raises them up, He brings them down. He's going to do that. You need to keep teaching the gospel, and when persecution comes, if you collapse, you give up, you don't endure. You probably didn't have faith in the first place. But if you have faith, the genuineness of your faith is going to indicate your faith and you will be saved in the end. Now, that is all things that are like, these are not signs of the end. Now, chapter, we'll pick this up next week, chapter 13, verse 14. Then he says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the rooftop... Now he begins to talk about when you see these things happening, these are when you need to take action. And then it even becomes confusing. That verse, again, we'll talk about later. 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes... This is, a pro, this is from Daniel. This is a prophecy out of Daniel. We'll go back and look at it, and, and you're familiar with it. Uh, Daniel prophesied this. In 167 B.C., before the time of Christ... Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes goes in, sets up an altar or an, an image of Zeus with his own face on it, and then uses the altar of the Jews to slaughter a pig and, and and burn a pig and pour out the pig's blood on the temple. The abomination, which refers most likely to idols, you know, idols are an abomination in the Old Testament that causes desolation, means it it it... it, it, it takes the temple and makes it unpure. It, de- it desolates. You can't use this anymore. Now, you know, for a Gentile like me, you know, uh, or, you know, a non-sacrificing person, we just go in there, just hose it down with a water hose and, you know, clean this up and and it's good to go. It's like, no, 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 this has been ritually defiled. It's like, what? How? Just spray it down and use it again. Well, no, you've got to have a whole ritual of cleaning it and cleansing it. And, and so that would be The abomination that causes desolation, it shuts the temple down. Remember how Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile into the court. They shut the temple, they shut the gates, they shut their, why? Because a Gentile got into the wrong area. The whole place is unclean. Just take him out. There wasn't a wasn't. that's not what happened. That's what they accused him of. But if that had happened, and they did respond like they thought it happened, they shut it all down. That would be desolation. So the abomination that causes desolation, I'll just say shuts down. That's the shop teacher, desolation. And that took place 167. They couldn't use the temple until they cleansed it after Judas Maccabeus. So that has already happened. Then beginning in 66 AD to 70 AD, somehow this could be fulfilled yet in the future for them. And a good case would be when the zealots, the zealots in 66, they take, went, run into the city. They take over the temple mound. They get rid of the high priest, appoint their own high priest, and the zealots, which would be the, uh, the terrorists, the fanatics, uh, these are the guys that were overthrowing their own government, uh, they're overthrowing the Romans, they were, they were like crazy, like question mark, question mark, crazy, they're the zealots, and they, some would say, they defiled the temple then in 66, 70 A.D. So there's one fulfillment that's already been done, this and there's could be several other ones. When we talked about last week, it could be the Roman soldiers came in after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and they, they uh, offered a sacrifice in the temple. And then Titus comes in, walks around in the holy place, checks it out. Uh, that would have done it too, but by that time, there's no time to flee because the war's already over. But this is talking about the future. Also, when you see the abomination... Now, he can't be referring to this because it had already happened, but we have an example. It's, it's an example of, 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 of if it be the spiritual world repeating itself. There's a cycle. Like if Satan's trying to bring the Antichrist, God's preventing the Antichrist. So here's the Antichrist, and Titus Epiphanes. God says no, and he dies. Here comes several times. He goes through all three. We've done this throughout history. It's cycling. Then the zealots come in. They're going to try to set up their own. And God says no then Paul and others talk about very clearly there's going to be a man that's going to come and set himself up in the temple. And if a man sets again, there's going to be a rebuilt Jewish temple right here. Uh, if, and again, that would be a sign. We would call that a sign. If they start building the temple, you know, obviously, I would say if, if the Jews sign a peace treaty with some world leader who gives them access to the temple mount and they build the temple, they begin the sacrifices I would say start your countdown. You've got seven years before the return of Christ. If, if that's, But again, at this point, we don't know. We're speculating. Uh, now, again, if you're pre-trib, you know pre-trib rapture, you're not going to see it. you're going to be raptured before that treaty is signed. So you'll never know. Uh, again, that's another whole discussion. But this is clearly talking about the Antichrist, I think. And now we'll look at these verses next week. Now he begins to say, he just gave you, no, these are not signs. Now he's saying, these are the signs of what's taking place. And we'll read through that next week. So let's go back and look at the verses that we just talked about and see, get some more details out of them. Uh, <clears throat> if you look on your notes, uh, on page one, uh, point two, I already gave you the two questions. Basically, the two questions, that if I summed them up, would be, when is this temple going to be destroyed? And what are the signs that the kingdom is about to begin? Uh, Jesus is going to answer that first question, second, and the second question first. What will be the signs that the kingdom is about to come? Well, let me tell you this these are not signs the kingdom is about to come. Wars, famine, kingdoms rising, persecution, your family betraying you, those are not signs. That's the Christian life. So don't go stand on oh, I got betrayed by my family. There's an earthquake over here, and there's a war breaking out. I'm going to go stand on the mountain and wait for Jesus. No. If there's a war, you're supposed to be preaching the gospel. If your family betrays you, you're supposed to be preaching the gospel. If you get arrested and put in prison, well, who's ever there? Start preaching the gospel. You, to, to accomplish God's plan, to go to all the nations, you have the message. You're going. So wars, famines, earthquakes whatever, arrests, beatings from the, the Sanhedrin or the, the Jewish consul, preach the gospel. That's what those verses are. Now, next week he'll talk, we'll talk about when you see these things happen, now things are getting serious. But nonetheless, there are three warnings in point two, three warnings given in all these verses. There's a warning to flee. When that abomination comes, flee. And we'll talk about that next week. The Christians are going to do that in 66 AD, so when they see, the, again, we'll get more into that. When the zealots come in, by that time, the Christians are actually going to flee. The Eusebius says the, the early Christians in Jerusalem had an oracle, that when they, uh, some kind of prophetic oracle that they knew when to leave. And that prophetic oracle could be this right here. It could be Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, that Jesus told them, leave. Uh, but anyway, they're supposed to flee. Uh, there's also warning of many false Christs, and that could be the military false Christ, the Zealots, Bar Barcopa Revolt 135, or the false Christ could also include heretical teaching. Uh, it would be false teaching, the Gnostics. So it doesn't have to be someone saying, I'm Christ. They come, when it says they will come in my name, that, that can mean they come and say, I am Jesus. But imagine in the first century, a Jew going to the Jewish people says, I am Jesus. It's kind of like, we just killed Jesus. I mean, that, that, that's not going to need any traction. And the Christians, hopefully, would realize that doesn't even match what Jesus says. So you, no one's going to come in the first century and say, I am Jesus. Now, they may come and say, I am the Messiah. Now, that, that could happen, or they're going to fit, fit the role of the Messiah. Um, but that, 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 that coming of, of, of Christ could also mean coming with a false Christ. I would say... We would have some people that are coming in Christ's name today presenting Christianity or church or Bible teaching in Christ's name, and it's like, no, this is not the Christ. Well, I'm using Jesus' name. This is Christ's church. It's like, eh, no, you've got an idol right there. That's not the real Christ. So it could mean someone coming and saying, I'm Jesus Or someone coming and saying, I represent Jesus. It could be a Gnostic. It could be some kind of a heretic. It could be today some false teacher coming. Anyway, beware. Do not be caught over there. So the warning to flee, warning of false Christ. And here's the big one for our verses tonight. Warning not to be alarmed because of hard times, because of persecution, court cases, wars, famine, earthquakes. Don't be alarmed. Stay to the task you're going to have to endure. The ideal here, you've got everything's all hell's breaking loose throughout history. What do we do? Don't take your eye off the goal. Preach the gospel. And I think the apostles did a great job of that. I mean, if it's Paul in prison, he's going to his death and he's writing Timothy a letter. Peter, 2 Peter, it's made clear to me that I'm about to lay down the tent of this body. He says, so I've got one more thing I want to say. I always want to take every opportunity to remind you, don't forget the word. So Peter's like staring at his death. It's like, wait, I want to remind all the churches, don't forget the word of God. We've got something more, a greater testimony than the testimony we saw in Mount of Transfiguration. We've got the word of the prophets made more sure. So keep in this word until the light shines, the dawn rises in your hearts. What what are you talking about? Uh, I'm just trying to remind you because I'm going to die. It's like, oh, help me, help me, I'm going to die. He's writing scripture, writing scripture, and then tells everybody, read Paul's books. And he calls Paul's books scripture in that last book. So again, the disciples did a good job of not being alarmed, even with their own death, they stayed focused. Uh, Again, uh, that would be the admonition I would give to myself. I mean, uh, and Tony would know better than you guys know because she lives with me, but what causes me to freak out uh, and and take my eye off the ball, uh, you know, instead of, it's like, it doesn't take much. It could be, you're behind on a, a bill, or it could be, you know, back in the day, one of the kids causing me trouble, or it could be trouble at work. Oh, thank God I'm retired. Uh, life is not going to be easy. You know, it's like, there's so kind of little things that, you know, get get me distracted. So this would be an admonition to me. It's like, stay focused. Um, and then here, I got a little chart here for you again. Uh, and the main point there is chapter 13, verse five through 13. It's definitely during the years 30 to 70 A.D., These are not signs of the end. This is going to happen. These are not signs the end is near. For all of this that happened, there will be an extended period of time. For nations have to rise. Nations have to fall. divine. Judgment has to cycle through. And the gospel has to be proclaimed. So this is going to take time. So stick around. Um, And then we'll go back next week. We'll look at these are the signs of the end. And this is still the second question. It's really not until chapter 30, verse 28. Uh, When he starts telling them, when you see the fig tree start to bud, when do we know the temple's going to be destroyed? Well, when do you know it's springtime, when the buds start to bud? When you see, and and, uh, Matthew's going to pick this up, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out. Before they have that iron ring around the city, the Roman iron ring, run. And the Christians do run before that iron ring is set up. The Jews do just the opposite. They run into the city because God is going to deliver them because they are going to wait for their Messiah. And Jesus says, no, there's going to be no deliverance. This, nation, this, this building is coming down. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'll just read through this, these verses here and make some points. Uh, chapter 30, verse 4 in the English Standard Version. Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? The big phrase that we looked at last week is these things, these things is what they're looking for, and the signs. <clears throat> and then the next page. And Jesus began to say to them, and now this, this whole section here now is these are not the signs. He began to say, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they'll lead many astray. And again, when he says, I am he, that can mean they're claiming to be Christ, <coughs> claiming to be the Messiah, or claiming to come in Jesus' name and having false doctrine. And they will lead many astray. There's going to be many people, and this is what's disturbing for, for us, is why, why are people doing this? Because people make their own choices. I mean, their hearts are not committed to God. Uh, and the test, one of the tests is going to be, are you going to be able to endure following Christ? And you wonder about churches today, are they, will, are they able to follow Christ or do they have to have the best of this world? I mean, you gotta, everything's got to be, So, are you willing to go to, with Christ into all the difficulties? And the Bible promises, i got a verse coming up, Peter writes it, it these tests and trials come to prove your faith. And if you have a, a trial and you stand firm in Christ, you're proving the genuineness of your faith and it'll result in honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed, when he comes back. Many will come in my name saying I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, what should we do? Well, do not be alarmed. Right there. It's a nothing burger. It's like there's a war. There's a rumor war. What's it mean? Nothing. Do not even be alarmed. Don't even mention it. You just keep going. This, now here's a, here's a good line. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Two things there. Um, When it says must take place, I got that point one. It must is D-E-I in the Greek, dia. It means it is necessary and it's translated inevitable. It is proper. Meaning when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, this is by design. This could, you, you don't have to accept it, but this is as close as you can come to saying you don't be alarmed. You just do your job. God is in control of that. God is bringing nations up. Nations don't bring each other. China, Russia, United States, we're not bringing nations up or down. God, you can see, he brings nations up. He brings nations down. Look at Jerusalem. He brought the Babylonians in and brought them down. The Assyrians came and did the same thing, but he destroyed the Assyrians. So it's like, it's, when you see nations rising and wars breaking out, this is God. It, it may say, well, it's, it's this political power, that political power, that ideology. God can snuff that ideology out. If, if God is letting a nation get out of control, becoming too aggressive like the Assyrians, it's by design. He's using it to control history. When he's done with the Assyrians, he raises up the Babylonians. It, it, so when it says wars, it says wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Why? Because God is doing this. This is, Nothing's out of control. It must take place. It is inevitable. It's not like it's, well, it's out of control. We don't know what to do. It's under control. You don't understand it, but God does. It goes right back to James chapter 4. You know, we're going to go to this town, that town. We're going to do this kind of business. Say, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't even know what's going to happen. You're a vapor. You need to say, if it is God's will. Because God's already working a plan, and you don't know the plan. You may have a plan, but you're going to have to... Allow it to fit in with God's plan. And same thing here. God's giving you direction, and it's not to worry about wars and rumors of wars. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And again, who's doing that? That would be God from the Old Testament. I mean, looking at the Old Testament examples, God is bringing in nations and taking them down. And then there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Again, I'm saying, again, that is God bringing nations through judgment, cycles of judgment, not just random events. Uh, Again, you don't have to agree with that. But you see, there are earthquakes and famines in Revelation, but we're not talking about the very end. We're talking about the beginning of the birth pains. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, there's going to be a birth coming later. There's going to be some very serious pains. There's going to be an earthquake that flattens all the cities of the nations. Uh, there's going to be famines. There's going to be a third of the world die, a fourth of the world die. That's all the seals. But that's, that's not now. Here, yeah, point one on page three God causes a nation to rise and fall. Here's just a couple verses, for example Job 12, and this is a great chapter, especially the last half of this chapter. Job 12, verse 23 and 24. He, God, makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away, watch this, he takes away understanding from the chiefs of one of the people of the earth and makes them wander in trackless waste. In other words, when God is ready to judge a nation, guess what he does? Job says, possibly going way back to the days of Abraham when Job was living that that seems like that'd be the right time when God is judging a nation he takes away the understanding from the chiefs of the people your leadership goes dark they do not understand what is going on they're in a cloud that's a sign of judgment you have leadership cannot find their way out of this why god has hidden the answers now, the verses before that, if we go back and I teach this, it talks about how God brings light and reveals hidden things. Like, we don't know what to do. Ah, he reveals them to like, guys like David or Solomon. And they manage to come out and build a great empire. But when God's ready to take the empire down, he shuts off the lights. And they end up like Belshazzar just shutting the doors of the gates of the city and having a party. We don't know what to do. Just just eat, drink, and be merry because the, the Persians are here. So we have one more party. We got time for one more party? We got time for one more party. Okay, that's your leadership in, in, in uh, Babylon at that time. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like drunken men. And then Isaiah 19 just talks about uh, where we kind of get the idea of kingdom against kingdom. But he says, I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each other and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, Then point two, divine discipline, earthquakes and famines. Beginning of birth pains, I think I've explained that pretty good. Uh, The idea there that uh, point A, the beginning of birth pains does not mean the birth is near. Uh, The the beginning of birth pains means the process of birth has begun. And the beginning of birth pains for Jesus, the beginning of the process of the kingdom coming has begun, but what has to take place? The gospel, the coming of the kingdom, before the kingdom comes, the gospel has to be preached. So when you see these pains coming, it's the beginning, but it's not gonna be fulfilled until the gospel is preached, or, and when is that gonna take place? When all the Bibles are distributed, all the different languages, it's gonna be in God's timing. I don't know if we can, we can set goals and have you know destinations, but again, a man plans his course, the Lord directs his steps. Um, point d do not be deceived by events in the process these things are not signs of the end but events on the way to the end these are the beginning of the birth pains uh, and again the birth pains get much more intense and again point four just mark's writing to uh, just point that out he's writing to christians in rome Point thir- chapter 13 verse 9 but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to consuls, and you will be beaten in synagogues now remember paul was received the 39 lashes, you know, the 40 minus one lashes, five times. We don't know about, uh, we know about him getting beat in a prison in Philippi, or in Philippi and being put in prison, but we do not know of any of the other Roman beatings or the, any of the Jewish lashings. So it appears Paul himself was tried when it talks about 39 lashes he received five times from the jews that means he was in some local city preached in their synagogues they found him a heretic tried him by their local council the leadership of and i'll show you the word here the leadership the assembly of the council found him guilty strapped him to a post and ripped his back open Five times. And again, they're not just like slapping with a you know a belt. No, that's bad. They're like ripping his skin off. So it's possible uh, that Paul's back was just a scarred mess. Imagine by the time one whipping gets healed, he's getting his back tore open again. It'd be scar upon scar. I mean, if you think about that. Um, be on your guard. Uh, they'll, you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors, kings, for my sake. And why? For my sake. Why? For my sake. To bear witness before them. When you're in front of a king, we're in front of a sand heater. When you're getting whipped, why am I here to bear witness before them? You are here to testify to them about Jesus Christ. And the beating just makes it more. I mean, you're not here for any kind of financial gain. You're not here for any kind of power gain. You're not here for any kind of promotion. We're beating you, and you still are holding to the truth, and nobody accepts it. it it's a testimony. Uh, Point one on page four. When you stand before councils and face persecution, this is not a sign of the end, obviously, but part of the process of advancing the kingdom to all nations. The believer's purpose in trials is to proclaim the gospel. The believer is not given advice. Now watch, there's no advice here on how to retaliate or how to, doesn't justify. When they beat you, you beat them back. It doesn't say that. When they, they do this, then you retaliate this way. No, when they beat you, you preach the gospel. Uh, consuls uh, that's the word and you can see it right there in italics you can see it in the greek up above that is the word sanhedrin so there is the great sanhedrin in jerusalem but there was also every synagogue had their own sanhedrin now it wasn't called the sanhedrin it's the word but it, it is the consul they would have their group of elders their group of leaders it means a sitting together or a consul uh, local synagogues would hold counsel. Their punishment could be 39 lashes. Crime could be heretic, her- heresy. Uh, point five, pagan governors and kings from the other cultures and nations. And the purpose for standing before these governors and kings is to explain the gospel to them. Now, in many cases throughout history, when, when they did proclaim it, this is unique. It's not, uh, we don't understand this. Because we're, you know, individuals, we're Americans, we make our own choices, we got freedom of thought, freedom of speech, um, you, you can't infringe your religion on somebody else. But in many of the cultures of this time, when you proclaimed it to the king, and the king, this happened, you know, it, going up north into Russia, I mean, in the, in the first, second, third century, uh, when the, the king, the chief became a Christian everybody well uh philippi uh, in philip when, when the the jailer's house he, he said what must i do to be saved paul shared with him and he baptized the whole house so the the man of the house gets saved the whole house is saved now again were they literally actually saved they're all christian they all came under the umbrella of christendom and so to to testify in front of a king would be a huge deal. Look at what could have happened if Nero had listened to Paul and says, you know, I I renounce my sins, I become a Christian. Well, what would have happened would have been what Constantine did. He says, okay, we made it illegal to persecute Christians, gave Christian public buildings, and that's another whole story, financed the priest, copied some Bibles, and we're all Christians now. And that was another whole story there. But that would be the advantage of proclaiming it to the kings. They would then take the message and use the public or the, the governmental system uh, the media, the newsways, the military to advance the cause of the gospel. Um, in chapter 13, verse 10, that, I mean, right in line with that very thinking, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. We've got to get to all the kings and proclaim the gospel. <clears throat> in chapter 13, verse 11, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And imagine, you know, I've got Bible study. I get my little notes together. I know that you're going to be here. But imagine being in another country, being drugged in front of a court, a king, some house of, of representatives. And what do I say? A great example would be Paul on Mars Hill in Athens. I mean, he goes up there, and all of a sudden he finds himself in front of the, the, the council of philosophers, and you notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't use his Galatians message or his, his message he gave to any, any of the churches or the, any, probably none of his rab, rabbi lessons. He goes and comes up with something unique for that audience. Uh, and of course, Paul was skilled and trained. But the same thing, if they're brought in front of kings... You don't know the culture. You don't know the background. You better just count on, you know the truth, uh, but you better count on God giving you words. and direct, Where do I take this conversation? You may have been in conversations like that before, uh, and a lot of times I, I find myself doing that, uh, and sometimes I, I don't know if it's God or if it's just me just rambling, like you think most of the time when I'm teaching. Um, but it's like someone asks you a question, if it's be uh, apologetic, something, and it's like, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And so you just kind of start kind of talking, kind of watching them and listen to their response. And eventually you, kind of, you can find somebody that goes exactly where they want to go and they have their question asked, but you didn't know how you got there. Uh, you just kind of start speaking and, you know, you can't prepare for everybody you meet. You can prepare for Bible study. But nonetheless, he says, just don't worry When you get there, the Holy Spirit's going to be there because this is his purpose. Um, a brother will deliver a brother to death and a father's child, meaning it's going to also be internal, personal. Uh, chapter 13, verse 13, and you'll be hated by by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the end is the end of life. Uh, that's point uh, A on page 6. To the end is Ace Telios, meaning. Completely. The word teleos means the end or completely. It does not have to mean the end of time. It does not have to mean the coming of the kingdom. It can mean the end or the completion of anything. And since we're talking about these individual disciples, I'm going to say, and I think it's supported here, the end of your ministry, the end of your time, the end, the completion of you being brought before trials like Peter or Paul. Paul writes 2 Timothy. Peter writes 2 Peter. It's like it was the completion of their life. They both knew they were dying. I'm not going to mind being poured out like a drink offering. Peter says, I'm giving up the body. My ten of my body is going to be given up. Uh, Now it's completed, and they will be then saved. Uh, John 13, 1 is an example of Jesus speaking this. When it came time for the end of Jesus' life. Chapter 13 of John, verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, again, that is not he loved them to the end of time. In the context, it's come time for him to depart out of the world, and he loved them in the world until his time in the world had come to an end. And then it says, you will be saved. Uh, and it must refer to the final fullness of salvation. I mentioned that earlier, uh, because I mentioned all these people that died. No, one's, no one in these verses are being delivered. No one is being saved from persecution. Uh, I mean, that would be like the ultimate insult. You are too weak to face persecution. Your faith is not strong enough. We're going to put you in a little bubble and put you over here in a little church in America because you can't face any kind of hardship. Uh, it's like, you know, they, they were going to be facing the Roman Empire. And here at chapter point three, Jesus referring to the genuine believers being saved in the end for glorification. The testing of one's face reveals its genuineness. And here's point A and point B, and I'm done. Point A, perseverance and endurance is an indication of genuine faith. Now, just because you endure doesn't mean you earn salvation. But if you have genuine faith, you will be able to endure, which indicates you have salvation. And here's Mark, or Mark's teacher, Peter, the very one that gave Mark this information. Peter, and this is Peter writing in chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Peter, First Peter. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at his return. Though you have not seen him, and this is true, he says you've not seen Jesus, yet you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining, excuse me, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if you read those underlined parts together, the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls so it talks about you'll be saved in the end the, sa- the end is your life and the salvation is the salvation of your souls the completeness of your souls and that is the end of the topic of the, the nose these are not signs stay focused you guys when's the end coming when's the end coming don't focus on the end focus on the journey how corny is that focus on the process That's what Jesus is saying. I want to go eschatology on this, but there's no eschatology except it's hanging in the background. Everybody wants to talk about it. We're not talking about eschatology. We're talking about you being faithful in, in wars, in falling of kingdoms, in famines, in earthquakes, in persecution. Your family betraying you. Preach the gospel. Now, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee them out. Now, when you see this, now we're talking about the end, but you've got, you've got to do this part first, because everybody wants to run to this, uh, because everybody wants Jesus to come back in their lifetime, but like I said before, uh, the odds of Jesus coming back in your lifetime, if you play the st- statistics, is zero, because everyone who has lived so far has died before Jesus came back. I mean, but I'm going to, break, I'm going to be the one that breaks the mold. It's like, well... That someone's going to break the mold. But so far, no one's been alive when Jesus came back. They've all died. So our focus should be on the journey, not the uh, return of Christ. Gosh, you know, I really wish that I was a, a good speaker and I could, like, really come down and with a glorious, with every head bowed and every eye closed, it was type of closing, you know. Like, it's not about the journey. It's about the destination. All right. We're going to pray, and we'll pick this up next week. Thank you for giving me another week to talk. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for this encouragement. We ask that we would have a proper perspective on living our life, that our goal is to serve you, to listen to you, and accomplish the purpose you have for our lives. Again, we do thank you for the, the hope of your return, but do ask that we would keep our eye on the goal you've set for us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.